The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good but be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that takes a flying leap through history every day of the week. I'm Gabe Lussier, and today we're talking about the international debut of a game-changing jumping style, the one and only Fosbury Flop. The day was October 20th, 1968. Dick Fosbury used a revolutionary high jump technique to win a gold medal at the Mexico City Olympic Games. The 21-year-old Oregon State University student leapt 2.24 meters, or 7 feet 4 and a quarter inches, over the bar, an Olympic record at the time. That already impressive feat was made all the more notable by the way Fosbury achieved it. He didn't clear the bar by jumping feet first or face first like other athletes. Instead, he went over backwards, landing on his head and shoulders. The unorthodox maneuver soon became known as the Fosbury Flop, and though it would take a few years to catch on, it ultimately became the standard style used by high jumpers worldwide. Prior to the 1968 Olympics, there were two prevailing techniques for the high jump, both of which involved facing the bar. The athlete would either leap over the bar using a straddle or scissor kick, or they would roll over the bar by jumping face first and then twisting their body in midair. During his high school days, Dick Fosbury preferred the scissors technique, but he never had much luck pulling it off. In fact, he performed so badly at high jump competitions that he was in danger of being cut from his track and field team. Plenty of student-athletes would have thrown in the towel at that point, or switched to a sport that suited them better. But it wasn't just fun and games for Fosbury. He was going through a difficult time at home, following the divorce of his parents and the death of his younger brother. The track team provided a sense of community and belonging for the young athlete, 
so he didn't simply want to be a part of it, he needed to be. That was a really strong drive for me, Fosbury said years later. First of all, to stop losing, and second of all, to stay on the team. And if I was going to be different from everybody else, so be it. That would be the way that I play the game. The first time Fosbury let his differences take the lead was at a 1963 track meet in Grants Pass, Oregon, not far from his hometown of Medford. His biggest problem as a jumper was that he kept knocking off the bar with his rear end. So to account for that, he started lifting his hips higher and leaning back farther. Those adjustments not only allowed him to clear the bar, they helped him jump higher than he ever had before. Fosbury noted the progress, and over the next two years, he continued to develop his technique until finally he was doing a full back layout over the bar. The other high jumpers thought it looked a bit strange, and so did their coaches, but it was hard to argue with the results. The technique worked so well that Fosbury was able to improve his jump by a full 12 inches, making him the highest jumper on the whole team. Years later, after his victory at the Olympics, Fosbury described his famous flop in detail, including the physics that made it so effective. I take off on my right or outside foot rather than my left foot, he said. Then I turn my back to the bar, arch my back over, and kick my legs out to clear it. The advantage, from a physics standpoint, is it allows the jumper to run at the bar with more speed, and with the arch in your back, you could actually clear the bar and keep your center of gravity at or below the bar making it much more efficient. Fosbury continued to fine-tune his flop at college, and in 1968, he used it to win the men's high jump title at the NCAA Track and Field Championship. Later that summer, he took first place at the high jump semifinal Olympic trials in Los Angeles. He had to settle for a third place at the final trials that September, but it was still a strong enough showing to earn him a spot at the Mexico City Games the following month. Fosbury was largely unknown outside of Oregon, so when the high jump competition began, the packed stadium crowd had no idea what was in store for them. Although a few other jumpers had also been experimenting with a back-first style, Fosbury was the first to demonstrate the new technique on the world stage. Some people gasped in shock, fearing the athlete might break his neck. Others couldn't help but laugh, with one journalist saying it, quote, looked like a guy falling off the back of a truck. Once again, though, the results spoke for themselves. By the time the bar was raised to 2.18 meters, there were only five athletes left in the competition, and Fosbury was one of them. On his first attempt, he leapt backward and twisted his six-foot-four frame clean over the bar before crashing headfirst into the landing pit. Two of the other jumpers failed to clear the bar using the standard forward-facing approach which meant there were only three remaining competitors at 2.20 meters, Fosbury and his fellow USA teammate Ed Carruthers and Valentin Gabrilov of the USSR. All three made the height on their first attempt, guaranteeing that they'd each receive a medal. The only question now was who would get which color. Gavrilov wound up taking the bronze after failing three attempts to clear the bar at 2.22 meters. Carruthers made the height on his second attempt, and once again, Fosbury sailed over on his first, without so much as nudging the bar. Finally, with just the two U.S. teammates remaining, 
the bar was raised to 2.24 meters, or 7 feet 4 and a quarter inches. Both men struggled on their first two attempts, knocking the bar off each time. But then, on his third and final effort, Fosbury managed to clear it with a solid inch or more to spare. The crowd went wild, but Fosbury contained his excitement until after Carruthers took the bar off for a third time. The gold medal victory helped vindicate Fosbury's signature flop, and in the years that followed, many other athletes began trying it for themselves. By the time of the next Summer Games in 1972, 28 of the 40 high-jump competitors had switched to his back-first style. Fosbury himself failed to qualify for that year's Olympics, and he stopped competing altogether shortly after. Instead, he finished his engineering degree at Oregon State and later opened his own civil engineering company in Idaho. He continued to write and speak about his Olympic triumph, including at student workshops, where he was careful to stress the importance of landing on your shoulders rather than on your neck. In 1993, Fosbury was elected to the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame in recognition of his lasting contribution to the sport of high jumping. He passed away 30 years later, on March 12, 2023, at the age of 76. But the technique he pioneered lives on. After his retirement from sports, the flop gradually won new advocates all over the world. In fact, the Montreal Games in 1976 was the last time that a high jumper won an Olympic medal using a technique that wasn't the Fosbury flop. And while the straddle jump limped on for another decade, it made its final appearance at the 1988 Olympics in Seoul. From that point on, every Olympic jumper, whether they won a medal or not, has gone over the bar just as Dick Fosbury did, backward and head first. As U.S. high jump coach John Tansley once put it, quote, Few athletes in history have done their thing as uniquely as Dick Fosbury. He literally turned his event upside down. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about high jump history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to pass them along by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. And I'll see you back here again soon for another day in history class. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.